From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. NBC weatherman Al Roker recently shared with viewers that he was diagnosed with prostate cancer, which is the most common cancer among men not counting skin cancer. So today I'm speaking with a urologist from Upstate who takes care of men with prostate cancer. Welcome to Dr. Joseph Jacob. He's an assistant professor of urology and he specializes in urologic oncology. Thank you for making time for this interview, Dr. Jacob. Thank you for having me. So Al Roker uh, told viewers that he found out he had prostate cancer through some routine blood work. Is that how most men discover they have prostate cancer? Yes, it is. So most men will get what's called prostate cancer screening and prostate cancer screening is made up of a blood test, um, which is called PSA and a rectal exam done by a primary care physician. So at what age do PSA tests begin on men? When is that recommended to start? So that's a little bit controversial and depends on the risk uh, of the patient. But if you look at our guidelines, the AUA guidelines, um, they just changed this to um, about 55 uh, is when you start in general for the, for the um, general population. And you stop screening at, at, at the age about 70. Um, but that's just our society guidelines. Um, and you, you can screen based on, you know, once a year, once every other year. And it's based on, you try to tailor it to the risk of the patient. Um, other guidelines are more stringent. If you look at some other societies, they say not even to screen for prostate cancer. But in general, now what we've decided as a medical profession is, when you're screening patients for cancer, it should be a conversation. Um, you should talk to them about the risks of screening because there are risks of screening. There's a lot of good that comes from screening, um, but there's also some risks that, that can happen when you screen patients. Um, so with anything you do in medicine, it should be a conversation and you should let the patient decide when they want to start screening or if they want to screen at all. So the American Urologic Association um, what do what does that organization say about the numbers of the PSA test? Like, what do the numbers mean? Right. So you you have to pick a cutoff. Uh, so it's it's a little bit more arbitrary than people than, than people like. But what you do is you look at a huge population of men, and you see at what number do does the risk of prostate cancer start you know, becoming more and more uh, common. Uh, and so what, what we've decided is a, a, the number of four. And so if you have a PSA of four or above, uh, then we start talking about what to do and, you know, and trying to find if, there, if you do have a prostate cancer. So, you know, wh what I talk to patients about, and I have this conversation all the time, you know, just because your PSA is high or elevated, that doesn't mean you have prostate cancer. Uh, it's not a perfect test by any means. The risk that you have prostate cancer starts to increase, um, but, but even then, a lot of patients that have a high PSA may not have cancer. And so it's not like a you know, definitive diagnosis when, you, when a guy goes to the you know, primary care and has a high PSA, you know, I don't want patients to freak out. I think a lot of it can be, um, can be managed. And, the idea is we're trying to catch prostate cancer very, very early. And, and PSA, the great thing about PSA, and 
we've been able to, to, to catch cancer much earlier than we have in the past before PSA. So aside from the PSA test, are there symptoms? Are there like physical symptoms that men should be on the lookout for? That's a good question. You know, a lot of patients ask that and, you know, you we're trying to, so this is a screening test. So we're trying to catch this before it becomes a problem for men. And so generally patients don't have symptoms. And so a lot of men will say, oh, I'm having trouble peeing. Is it prostate cancer? And and that's actually not necessarily related. Um, it can be in r- rare circumstances, but in general, when we're doing these screening tests, we're trying to find with any cancer, whether it be prostate cancer, breast cancer, colon cancer, we're trying to find these cancers before you have symptoms. Okay. Now, one thing that Mr. Roker said uh, in a segment on the Today Show, he said one in nine men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer, but if you carve out just African-American men, it's one in seven. So what does race have to do with prostate cancer? Yeah, it's it's something well known uh, in in urology, and we screen black men a little bit more aggressively than we would uh, a white man, for example. Uh, we don't know why. Uh, we don't know why black men tend to get prostate cancer more frequently. And and the unfortunate thing is, when black men do have prostate cancer, it tends to be more aggressive. Uh, and so we we do tailor our screening and our treatment and our counseling based on based on race. Interesting. Now, and and you mentioned that the prostate specific antigen test is sort of uh, recommended middle age. Um, so most of your patients are are older, right? Right. So most most men are in their sixties when they're getting this diagnosis now. Unfortunately, we see men earlier than this. Um, you know, I just had a uh, conversation with a couple guys that were in their 40s, but you know, and you and you say, you know, well, you don't even start screening till the age of 50 or 55. And so, you know, one thing is if you, if a patient has risk factors, then that's one thing that that we would recommend is you start screening uh, earlier. Well. Okay, once you have that patient, whether they're in their 40s or 50s or 60s, if if they have a, an alarmingly high PSA number, what happens after that? Is it, do you, are you looking do you have to have like a biopsy in order to get the diagnosis? Yes, yeah, so conventionally the the only way to get a definitive diagnosis is to do a prostate biopsy. Um you know, that that's a tissue confirmation, and that'll tell you not only is there prostate cancer or not, it'll also tell you the aggressiveness of the prostate cancer. When we look at you, the pathologist will look under the microscope, and there's a grading scale based on how aggressive the cancer cells look. And based on that grading scale, we know that the prostate cancer will behave differently based on how aggressive the cells look. And it's been well studied. And there's some prostate cancers that we find that we actually will will watch and not treat. Uh, we'll watch very closely. Um, and there's a, there is a prostate cancer that men get that we've realized over the years that, that likely will sit there 
and they'll die with it, not not from it. But there are different types of prostate cancers, and there are prostate cancers that definitely need to be treated. So, you know, one take-home message for patients is not all prostate cancer is the same, and it's it's more complex than than you know than people realize. You know, you, you hear a lot of people talk about prostate cancer, and it's something that you don't have to worry about, and you know, you you die with it, not from it, but you know, that's, that's just one type of prostate cancer. There are more aggressive types of prostate cancer that definitely kill men that definitely need to be treated. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Joseph Jacob. He's an assistant professor of urology at Upstate, and we're talking about prostate cancer after NBC weatherman Al Roker shared that he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Now, Al Roker said his cancer was fairly aggressive. So you can tell based on the biopsy, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the pathologist will look at at the cells under the microscope and and tell you how aggressive these cells look, and that's been shown to correlate with, you know, outcomes and prognosis. So, as the physician, you need all of that information before you can help a patient decide what the best course of treatment is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we want to gather all the information about the patient specifically and personally before we can come up with a, you know, tailored personal treatment plan for them. And so a lot of what we do as urologists is we, we, we try to get as much information as possible, and then we can tailor that treatment plan to the patient and go over all the different treatment options and we can also talk about prognosis and and what what a patient should expect over their lifetime. So in general, I kind of I just wanted to ask you some of the the treatments. I now Al Roker had a prostatectomy where his prostate was surgically removed. So that's one option, surgery, but even within surgery there's different types of surgery, right? So you know, for prostate cancer surgical options are really going to be removal of the prostate. Um, and most of that is done laparoscopic robotic. Um, so that's, that's a, that's the most common way of, of removing a, a prostate. There are some newer types of therapies that are being studied and that, uh, ha- have been available, uh, to patients in, in select circumstances that, that, a, that a surgeon would, would offer. Um, but most commonly, we're talking about a, a prostatectomy or removal of the prostate. Is that typically followed up with radiation or chemotherapy or any other type of intervention? So, not typically. So it depends. Everything depends on the the the, the information that we have about the patient. So, in general, when somebody comes in with prostate cancer, the first thing you want to know is is how aggressive it is based on how aggressive it is, it has a tendency to either stay in the prostate for years or to to move out of the prostate and become what we call metastatic prostate cancer. And so when, when guys come in to see me, for example, we want to make sure that the prostate cancer is not too aggressive and not something that has a high risk of spreading outside and becoming metastatic cancer. And so one of the you know, goals of surgery or other treatments to the 
prostate is to try to prevent the prostate cancer from spreading out of the prostate and becoming you know, more of uh, what we call metastatic prostate cancer. And that would be you know, a very different treatment uh, for patients once they have that. So you have to you know, kind of group patients into different categories. And so what we talk about is you know, there is a certain group of men that have localized prostate cancer, meaning that it's local. It means it's just in the, in the prostate. And then there's a certain group of men that have metastatic prostate cancer, uh, and meaning that that has spread outside of the prostate. So to answer your question, if a patient has, you know, a localized prostate cancer and, ha and they have a good outcome from the surgery, then that likely will be the only treatment that they need for the rest of their life. Now, that being said, you know, every cancer patient has to be followed pretty much for the rest of their life. And if the, you know, if the cancer starts to come back, we start seeing signs that the cancer may be, um, we call it a recurrence, then we would offer something like radiation or there's different types of hormonal therapies because prostate cancer is very hormone sensitive um, or even chemotherapies. Interesting. It sounds like it's very individualized. Um, is there even, can you tell me in general, how long a man with prostate cancer is in treatment? It sounds like it could be solved with surgery and, and they might be done then, right? Yeah, most, most of prostate cancer is either going to be the kind of cancer that we can really watch closely, which we call that active surveillance, or it's going to be localized prostate cancer where we can offer a local therapy like surgery or radiation and that they're going to be cured from that. Um, unfortunately, there there is a group of men that will either show up or present with metastatic prostate cancer or they'll develop metastatic prostate cancer uh, over their over their lifespan. We will be right back with more about prostate cancer with urologic oncologist Dr. Joseph Jacob. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air with your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking about prostate cancer with Dr. Joseph Jacob, an assistant professor of urology at Upstate. So let me ask you after surgery, we'll focus on surgery as a treatment and what can a man expect in the early days and then after, after recovery? So patients have done much, much better over time. You know, it's, it's a surgery that is done laparoscopically. So you, that means that you, we use small incisions that will fit laparoscopic instruments. They're about an inch wide. Um, and you, you may use about four or five incisions across the belly. So they're small incisions. And then what you do is you use uh, CO2 gas to fill up the, fill up the belly. And that gives you space where you can work. And one of the big advances of removal of the prostate or prostatectomy is, uh, uh, robotics. And so, you know, many surgeons, most surgeons now that, that, that treat prostate cancer will do what's called a robotic prostatectomy. And, and all that means is these are small instruments, fine instruments that a surgeon can control with their hands, but it gives them space and access into the pelvis where the prostate is. And you can do a lot of fine movements and get access to a very narrow tricky area. And so the surgeon is removing the, the prostate with the instrument of a robotic platform. Um, so a lot of patients will ask me, you know, 
is the robot doing the surgery? And no, it doesn't move without the surgeon moving the, uh, the instruments. And so it's just a tool where it allows surgeons better access into a tight, narrow area. And so with that, with that platform, with that technology, you know, we're able to do this relatively complicated surgery where you're moving an organ and you have to sew things back together. Um, we're doing that in, in pretty, pretty good time and, and with minimal incisions. And so patients from a pain standpoint have done extremely well. Um, most patients don't, don't require pain medicine when they go home. Uh, and they're leaving the hospital either the same day or the day after. And so patients recover pretty quickly from the surgery. Within, a, within the first couple weeks, patients are starting to get back to uh, doing what, they, what they're used to be doing. So let's talk about sexual function, because I've heard that that can be affected by surgery. Is that, um, is that something that is still a concern? Yes. And so whenever you offer a treatment in medicine, you always have to realize that there's going to be some side effects. And so, you know, any kind of treatment for prostate cancer, um, unfortunately, is going to affect men's ability to have erections. So surgery or radiation, they're both treating the prostate, but unfortunately, the nerves that that help men achieve erections, they are very, very close to the prostate. And so you have to do your best not to affect those nerves, but you, you can't avoid the fact that they're within the treatment space. Uh, and so, you know, one of the, one of the risks or one of the side effects of, uh, surgery or radiation is you do hurt men's quality of life. And you, so, so men's erections will not be as good as they were before the surgery. And that's sort of a trade-off. You have to talk to patients about it. They say, look, we're going to treat your cancer, but there is a little bit of a quality of life trade-off, unfortunately. Are there, uh, is there any other impact? Are there other side effects to be aware of? Yes. And so the two big side effects that we talk to men about are um, erection problems. And we've, we've done better over the years. So, you know, the nerve sparing prostatectomy was developed and um, that has, you know, improved over the years and surgeons have gotten better and better at sparing nerves. And so you can spare nerves safely and uh, from a cancer standpoint. Um, and so men, you know, especially if they have good erections before the surgery, they, they can expect to have um, reasonable erections after the surgery. They may need some help with pills like Viagra or Cialis, but uh, in general, you can try to um, try to reduce that side effect as best you can. The other big side effect with surgery is men have to realize that um, it can lead to some urine um, leakage. Um, and what I mean by that is like when men, you know, and women deal with it all the time after after um, childbirth, but um, men aren't used to it. You know, if you bend over, pick something up, sneeze, cough, um, when you're when you're first recovering from surgery, that that isn't an, an issue, and it's usually a temporary issue. But you know, men are men have to realize that it, it, temporarily they they're likely going to have to use like pads um, uh, while they're recovering and getting those muscles stronger uh, uh, after surgery. Okay, but let's um, let's remember and talk about if it's prostate cancer and you remove the prostate, have you removed the threat of cancer? That's the hope. 
that's okay. the hope. that's the that's the goal. That's why we go through all this stuff, and that's why patients agree to, you know, take a little bit of a hit to their quality of life in hopes of curing the cancer. Now, you know, we can we can fool ourselves and and t- and tell tell ourselves that you know it's a perfect treatment and we save everybody, and, and but it's not it's not true. I mean, most patients, you know, th- that's going to be a cure for their cancer, um, but but unfortunately, cancer is. Um, it's tricky and it, it can confuse us and it can, it can do unexpected things. And so, um, sometimes you don't necessarily, you know, cure the patient. Um, but it is a good first step. And, and even if the patients have, uh, what we call a recurrence, um, they, that can be managed and that can be, that can be treated. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. This is your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Joseph Jacob, an assistant professor of urology at Upstate. We're talking about prostate cancer because NBC weatherman Al Roker shared that he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Now, Upstate has multidisciplinary care and a tumor board. Those are things patients are not likely to find unless they receive care at an academic medical center so can you explain what these are and what their value is? Yeah, it's great. It's one of the well, nice things about being a part of an academic center. Uh, you have uh, what we call multidisciplinary teams where we have people from different specialties that come together and look at a specific patient and we look at their, you know, their information, their, their cancer, their images, their pathology, uh, and so we have, we sit down, well, we used to sit down in a room and now we do it uh, over uh, the video, but um, we would have uh, a urologist that treat cancer. We have oncologists that treat cancer. We have pathologists that speci- specialize in looking at prostate cancer. Um, we have radiologists that look at images. And so we have a, a bunch of people that come together and everyone sort of gives their opinion and gives their um you know, sort of their experience and, and you sort of get a tailored personalized treatment plan for that specific patient. And you, you, you can sit there and spend up to 10, 20, 30 minutes on one patient, just sort of everybody, um, trying to figure out the best sort of solution for the patient. Now, this is, this is usually, um, used in cases that, in some cases are very straightforward and there's not really a question, but in cases where you may need everybody to come together and, and something difficult to, um, to figure out, or there may not be like a lot of data or research behind it, we kind of come together and, 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 and come up with a, a plan. Um, so it's, it's reserved for many patients actually with cancer. Um, we, we at Upstate, we, we try to make it a personalized uh, uh, approach and many patients end up getting tumor board uh, multidisciplinary uh, opinions um, just because we we just don't think that cancer every cancer is the same and so there's a lot of different things that that go into it so you know one of the benefits about being treated at an academic center is you have people that are thinking outside the box you have people that uh, are are you know even bringing clinical trials and offering different, um, you know, out of the box ideas to treating, treating, uh, some of these cancers. Wow. Well, let me ask you, um, kind of getting at how every cancer isn't the same. 
what does a man's genetics have to do with the type of cancer, prostate cancer he develops? Yeah, so this is something that's becoming more and more obvious to us the more we study it. And uh, we've realized that all cancers actually have a genetic basis to them. The way cancer develops is um, DNA, which is like the, um, you know, it's, it's like the um, machinery behind, you know, why people uh, uh, develop cancer or DNA is it basically is the, the brain for all the cells that tell cells, you know, what to do. And so um, cancer starts with a damage in the, in the DNA and a part of the DNA. And so all, all cancer really uh, has some kind of genetic origin. Now, uh, that's not to say that everybody has a genetic risk for cancer. So we have to differentiate between um, germline cancer risks or germline um, genetic defects, which that means that someone is born with that uh, problem versus um, what we call somatic uh, mutations, which that's something that may develop on accident from just damage. Like for example, you know, smoking can cause DNA damage. And so somebody may not have a germline risk or born with that, but may develop that from different types of things that can damage the DNA and develop cancer. I see. So there is some risk if, if you have male family members you know, grandparents or uncles who had prostate cancer, you might be at a, a greater risk? Correct. So there are, we know from just looking at tons of, of you know, uh, patients uh, that it, it, all, if you look at all comers, if you look at men that present with, what, remember we were talking about metastatic prostate cancer, that means prostate cancer outside of the prostate, about 12% of those men actually have a genetic germline where they're born with something that puts them at, at risk of, 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 of having prostate cancer. And if you look at men with localized prostate cancer, prostate just in the prostate cancer just in the prostate, about 6% of them um, will be uh, uh, have a germline, um, what we call mutation or germline problem or risk. Uh, that is something that we try to elicit or we try to find out when we ask the patient about the family history. So patients that have that are more likely to have some something that they're born with that puts them at risk for prostate cancer would be patients that have uh, like a, a father or a brother, somebody uh, close uh, to their family that has prostate cancer or that somebody that had, you know, if they have a father or a uh, uncle or something that that died of prostate cancer, that would put them at much higher risk of having a, a germline mutation or a mutation that they're, they're born with. Um, not just, you know, not just prostate cancer. So there's a, there's a connection between breast cancer too and prostate cancer. So there are certain families that harbor, um, and maybe people have heard about the BRCA, the BRCA mutation. Um, that's, that's something that, that has been studied. And, and, and so a man that has uh, maybe like a mom or sisters that have uh, this BRCA gene that puts them at risk of having breast cancer, that could actually put a man um, at risk of having prostate cancer too. Now, that's interesting. We've normally heard of BRCA attached to like that, that is, you know, the breast cancer gene, but you're saying that it might also mean that you have an increased risk for prostate cancer. Exactly, exactly. And so if we can try to find out, you know, if, if you're 
you know, what based your based on your personalized risk, based on your family history, and we can do genetic testing on you or members of your family, and we can sort of find out what your risk is. We may start screening you much earlier than fifty-five. Well, we can't really do anything about our genes, but is there anything we can do to reduce our risk of prostate cancer aside from any genetic stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, there's that's that's controversial. Um, <laughs> it's been studied. I mean, there's been a lot of like, there's been a couple big trials that studied um, nutritional things. Like there was a big selenium study um, to see if selenium intake. Um, would, would decrease the risk. There was a big vitamin E study and nothing really uh, panned out, unfortunately. There's a drug called finasteride that men get for an enlarged prostate. And there's some evidence to show that this maybe can decrease prostate cancer, but there's also some evidence to show that maybe it you know can cause more aggressive prostate cancer. So bottom line is there's nothing that has been you know, obviously studied and obviously can prevent uh, prostate cancer. I will tell you just in general what, what, how I counsel patients, you know, healthy lifestyle, um, you know, eating healthy food, exercising, avoiding known cancer uh, tox toxins like smoking would be the most common thing. I mean, those things are always going to, um, uh, be be beneficial. Um, you know, may not have been studied specifically in prostate cancer, but it's been studied in other other cancers, and and um, you know has been shown to decrease uh, cancer risk. So in general, I don't think it's going to hurt men to, to to live a healthy lifestyle, to to eat healthy foods, and to avoid uh, toxins, known toxins, especially smoking. Wow. Well, this has been very informative. Thank you so much to Dr. Joseph Jacob, a urologist who specializes in urologic oncology at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.